0: Hello, I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. We're in a series called The Baptism in the Spirit. And the aim of this series is to really give you a deep understanding of the baptism in the spirit so that uh, you will have able to receive the baptism in the spirit and operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. We've seen that the baptism in the spirit is... um, the Spirit of God upon us, empowering us for ministry. We saw that actually what we call the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the blessing of the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant has two parts to it. First of all, at salvation we receive the Spirit of God within us, and that is for ourselves. That's our own blessing with God, for our own life with God, a life of holiness. But secondly, we need the Spirit of God upon us, and that's always for the purpose of power for ministry, power to do God's will in the earth, power to that activates our gifts and abilities to do God's will in the earth. That's the baptism in the Spirit, and that's what we're focusing on. We saw that uh, in the old covenant, the 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 new covenant work of the Holy Spirit was, was prophesied, and it was called the promise of the Father. Jesus called it that uh, on on a number of occasions he said behold I send the promise of my father upon you and uh, to wait for the promise of the father and actually the promise of the father had two parts it's the spirit within us and that was the new birth which wasn't available before the death and resurrection of Christ but when we receive Christ the spirit comes within us and makes us a new creation and now we have the indwelling spirit all believers have that Now, subsequent to salvation, there is a second experience available called the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is an endowment of power for ministry. And that's what we're focusing on. Well, the prophecies of the Old Testament, we saw that in Ezekiel 36, God prophesied that he'll give the Holy Spirit, uh, I will put my spirit within you, he says, and I will give you a new spirit that's the spirit within but he also prophesied through Joel that he would pour out his holy spirit upon all flesh resulting that in them releasing their spiritual gifts and so there's the spirit within all believers and also the spirit made available the spirit upon sorry made available to all believers and that was prophesied and that really was the 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 promise the Father. And we saw that that promise was brought into fulfillment uh, through Christ's death and resurrection. It says in Galatians that Christ redeemed us from the curse, having become a curse for us, that the blessing of Abraham might come on us, the Gentiles, in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Notice the promise of the Spirit. And so what God promised was the Holy Spirit himself. And the Holy Spirit brings every blessing for us as well. And so the blessing of Abraham is in two parts. He says, I will bless you and make you a blessing. And so the, first of all, the blessing for our own life is through the Spirit of God within us. And that, but the blessing that makes us a blessing to others is also the Spirit of God upon us. And each of these we receive through faith. We receive through faith at salvation, the baptism into Christ and the blessing of the Spirit for our life. Uh, But also by faith we receive the baptism of the Spirit, which is the Spirit of God upon us. And so both of these are important. And uh, the first is important for our own salvation. The second is important for us to be God's instrument and of blessing to others in sharing the gospel and, and doing God's work. Praise God. And so he described the promise of the Father as being baptised in the Holy Spirit. And he says, this baptism in the Holy Spirit is vital. Don't try and do anything until you've received the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we saw that this twofold experience. See, a lot of people don't enter into the baptism in the Spirit because they've been told they've already received everything of the Holy Spirit when they were born again. And so they're not seeking any other experience of the Holy Spirit. But that's a big mistake. We see in, even in the life of Jesus this twofold ministry of the Holy Spirit. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, he was born and had the Holy Spirit his whole life. And he lived a perfect life through the indwelling Spirit. And it was only when he was baptized in water at the age of 30 that he received the Spirit upon him, which empowered him for ministry. And we saw that when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him and remained upon him. And now he could start doing healings and miracles. And now he was empowered to preach the gospel. and. we, we saw that John the Baptist was told that the one whom he sees the Spirit of God coming upon and remaining upon him would be the very one who would impart that very same experience to others. He's the very one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So at 30, Jesus, who already had the Holy Spirit within him, he received the Spirit upon him for ministry, and that's when he started his ministry. And so it says that Jesus will also baptize us in the Holy Spirit, so you have to come to Jesus to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. but the blueprint for the baptism in the Spirit is Jesus' own baptism. The only difference is that Jesus received this Holy Spirit in fullness, without measure. We can't receive the Holy Spirit without measure, but the Holy, Jesus distributes the anointing of the Holy Spirit to each one of us according to our gifts and ministries. And so he gives us the Holy Spirit and together, as it were, we, we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but none of us individually do. So Jesus' baptism is the blueprint for our baptism. It shows us that the baptism in the Spirit is different from having the indwelling Spirit and it shows us that the baptism in the Spirit is the Spirit of God coming upon us and clothing us with power. And uh, then we want to notice there's an interesting connection between the baptism in water and the baptism in the Spirit. And uh, we see that because God deliberately arranged it so that Jesus was baptised in the Spirit at the same time that he was baptised in water. In fact, he just come up out of the water and then he received the baptism in the Spirit. And God is telling us through that that there's a close connection between the baptism in water and the baptism in the Spirit. And uh, this connection we'll see in a number of scriptures. Um, In Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist said, I indeed baptise you with water." but it should be translated, in water. I baptize you in water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Again, wrong translation. It should be, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And so here, John's baptism or immersion in water is put in parallel with Jesus' baptism in the Spirit. And unfortunately... The full meaning is lost by many translations which follow the King James Version in saying that these baptisms were with water and with the Spirit, but each time it's the Greek preposition en, en, and this normally simply means in, signifying that that's the medium into which the baptism happens. In other words, they were baptized in water Immersed in water, and likewise, we are baptised in the Spirit means we are immersed in the Spirit. It's the medium into which we are immersed, and which we remain in. Remember baptism means immersion, so it's necessary to specify, to describe the baptism, you have to specify the medium into which the object is immersed. In the first baptism, John was the baptizer, he baptised people in water. That is, the water is the medium into which they are immersed. So why did the King James translate it by with water? Well, you see, uh, th- that allows you just to explain baptism as, as a sprinkling. you you baptize with water. Well, you just put a drop of water on someone and you've baptised them. Why does it loosen the meaning in that way? Because at that time in church history, the church stopped had stopped baptizing by full immersion and they were using the mere application of water by sprinkling instead. So by, if they were to use a literal translation, it would have had to be something like, John, they, they were immersed in water. That would have been embarrassing because it would expose the fact that the church had departed from the biblical teaching. So two things were done to disguise this fact. Number one, by saying with water, They made it consistent with sprinkling water. Then to be consistent, uh, they had to also say that Jesus baptizes us with the Spirit. But then that would reduce the baptism of the Spirit to just a mere sprinkling with the Spirit. And secondly, what they did was instead of translating the Greek word baptizo into English, as you would normally just translate words into English, and it would be the word immerse, uh, they didn't want to do that because that would clearly invalidate sprinkling. And so they transliterated the Greek word baptizo into English and created a brand new ba- English word, baptize. And, so, and then they also changed the original meaning, uh, biblical meaning, which is immersion, uh, and they widened it to any, kind of any way that the, the priest may want to apply water. So most people, of course, not knowing this origin of the word, would be totally unaware that the original meaning of the word baptize is to immerse, full immersion. So we should translate it baptism in water, not with water, and baptism in the Spirit, not with the Spirit, because that just weakens the meaning. So the literal translation of Matthew 3.11 is, I indeed baptize you in water, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. In the same way, Mark 1.8, I indeed baptized you in water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Luke 3.16, I indeed baptize you in water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And then Jesus himself said, John truly baptized in water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. All these statements, notice, compare baptism in water with the baptism in the Spirit. See, in the first baptism, John was the baptizer who baptized or immersed people into the medium of water. And this is used as an analogy, as a picture of the second baptism, the baptism in the Spirit. And in this case, Jesus is the baptizer in the Spirit, and he baptizes people into the medium of the Spirit. So these scriptures, all of them, point to the connection between baptism in the spirit and baptism in water so that we might understand something more about what would come later. The baptism in the spirit. Would, the baptism in water is, is, is physical and, uh, and, and therefore we, he uses that to explain the baptism in the spirit which would come later and would be greater and spiritual and we can understand the spiritual from the natural, which is John's baptism. What is the significance of this connection? What does it teach us about the baptism in the Spirit? First of all, John immersed people in water so that they were covered and clothed with water, so that water was upon them. So in the baptism of the Spirit, Jesus immerses people in the Holy Spirit, so that they're covered and clothed with the Spirit. The Spirit rests upon them. He doesn't just sprinkle us, he immerses us in the Spirit, clothing us with his power. And, and secondly, there's the connection is that both our baptism in water and the, our baptism in the Spirit, they are outward expressions and manifestations of an inward reality, which is our baptism in Christ when we receive the Spirit to dwell within us. So, in the case of the baptism of water, we obediently act out what happened within us when we were baptized into Christ. In our baptism in the Spirit, the indwelling Spirit manifests himself outwardly by coming to rest upon us. So the inward is manifested outwardly. And so these are dual outworkings of our baptism into Christ, available to all believers. And so we will see their close connection to each other and to the baptism in Christ, when we look at the experiences of people in the book of Acts. In each case, we see in the book of Acts, their baptism into Christ, that salvation, always happens first, that's the first thing. Uh, And then soon after, they receive the other two baptisms, sometimes water first and then the Spirit, sometimes the other way around. But in each case their initiation was not complete until they received all three baptisms. Uh, if they obeyed God by being baptized in water, they were encouraged and prayed for to receive the baptism of in the Spirit soon afterwards. If God baptized them in the Spirit first, they were encouraged then to obey God soon afterwards by being baptized in water. And we especially see the close connection between the baptism in the Spirit and the baptism in water, in Jesus' own baptism, where he received one baptism, the baptism in the Spirit, immediately after the other baptism. And this is telling us something deep. This experience of Jesus is the prototype, the blueprint, the ideal blueprint experience, uh, that is the pattern and the early church endeavoured to follow that this pattern as much as possible. And that's why we see always one happening soon after the other. The experience of Jesus reveals the spiritual connection between the two baptisms. You see, the water baptism of Jesus was an act of obedience and dedication to God as he was about to enter into his ministry, which would ultimately result in his death, burial and resurrection, followed by the outpouring of the Spirit on all flesh. And Jesus acted this all out in his baptism, basically to say, God, I'm willing to give myself to this mission. Going under the water represented his coming death and burial. Coming out of this watery grave represented his resurrection. And then when he received the Spirit upon him, that represented when he would receive the Holy Spirit from the Father to pour out on us. And so by this prophetic acting out of his future death and resurrection, he was dedicating himself to God to do God's will, to fulfill his mission, knowing that it would lead to his suffering and death, but also knowing that it would lead to his resurrection and the institution of the new covenant, through which he could pour out his Spirit abundantly on all his people. And then, you see, in response to his obedient dedication to God, expressed in his water baptism, God consecrated and anointed him with the Holy Spirit, empowering him to accomplish the ministry which he dedicated himself to God to fulfill. You see, dedication always comes before consecration and anointing. You know, why would God anoint us to speak His words and to do His will if we're not submitted to Him and willing to do His will. First, you see, this is how God works in our lives. First God reveals His will to us, and then we need to respond by surrendering our will to His will in dedication. Then God empowers us by His Spirit to fulfill His will. His Spirit comes upon us. A great example of this is in Luke 1, you know, when the angel told Mary that she would bear a son by the power of the Spirit. That's in Luke 1.35, the Holy Spirit, the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the highest will overshadow you, and the Holy One who is to be born through you will be called the Son of God. And so God said he wants to do this through Mary, but he needs Mary's cooperation. And Mary responded to the revelation by submitting and dedicating herself to God's will. She said, behold, the, sorry, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. So, when she had dedicated to God, then God, in response to her dedication, God's power came upon her and Jesus was conceived in her womb. So, this shows how God works. That first must be the dedication, then the anointing, the power. And so we see that in Jesus baptism the blueprint of his baptism teaches us that our baptism in that he was baptized in water that was his dedication and then God's response was his anointing the spirit came upon so this teaches us that our baptism in water is an act of obedience where we are to officially present ourselves to God publicly dedicate ourselves to follow Christ as his disciple committed to do his will. Uh, You know, we see this in Matthew 28. He said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And so this proves that baptism is part of the life of discipleship. The first act of obedience of a disciple. You know, make disciples baptizing them. And so a disciple is someone who's committed to follow Christ and do his will. So anyone who is baptised should have received Christ as his Lord, and so understands that he is his disciple. And by his baptism he's publicly expressing and declaring his commitment, his dedication to Christ. That's baptism in water, our expression of our dedication to God that we are willing to follow him even unto death. Any baptism without the corresponding heart dedication is meaningless. And as with Jesus, it's this very dedication to Christ which positions and qualifies us to receive his baptism in the Spirit, whereby he empowers us to do his will. But first, we must be dedicated to do his will and to fulfill his will. Then we are qualify, as it were, to... That dedication qualifies us to receive his power to do his will. And that explains why there's a close connection between baptism in water and baptism in the Spirit. One is our obedient dedication and the response is the empowerment of the Spirit. And that's why the baptism in the Spirit normally followed soon after a person's baptism in water. Because if a person has truly dedicated themselves to God, as evidenced by their baptism in water, then there should be no reason for any delay in them also receiving the baptism in the Spirit, God's empowerment to do his will. There certainly is no delay on God's part, and in the book of Acts, before wrong teachings came in on this subject, uh, there was little delay between their salvation and baptism in water and the Spirit. And God hasn't changed since then. So, if we don't see things happening in the same way today, it's because of the unbelief caused by a number of wrong teachings that has come into the church. Three I can point to. Number one, often a false gospel is preached, which only presents Jesus as Saviour, but fails to assert His claims over us as Lord, as our Lord. And so that. In the converts, there's a lack of surrender to his lordship, which means either people aren't actually saved at all, or if they're saved, the level of their commitment and discipleship is very low, which is then manifested in not obeying God, in being baptized in water, and not surrendered enough to receive the baptism in the Spirit. The second false teaching come into the historic churches, whereby believers' baptism in water is replaced by the sprinkling of babies. And so this caused widespread disobedience to the Bible, to Christ's explicit command that we are to be immersed in water at the start of our Christian life. And that undermined people's discipleship to Christ, and, and it undermined God's normal way of leading people into the baptism of the Spirit, which is through water baptism. And a third false teaching come in that that denies the biblical teaching that there's a distinct baptism in the Spirit that comes after salvation that is available to all believers. Because that's denied, people do not expect to receive any baptism of the Spirit. Any contrary evidence in the Gospels and Acts that we're covering in this series is ignored or explained away as a kind of special case that happened. Uh, at the start of the church age that no longer applies. And so anyone under this teaching is told there is no baptism of the Spirit for them to receive because they've already received everything that they can of the Holy Spirit. Because as is true, they have the indwelling Spirit in the new birth. But the false conclusion from that is that there is no more ministry of the Spirit to receive. And so anyone who comes under this teaching will have unbelief in their heart concerning the baptism in the Spirit, and that will prevent them from receiving. So we've seen that Jesus' baptism in the Spirit is the blueprint for our baptism in the Spirit. He already had the Spirit of God within him from birth, but now the Spirit of God came upon him and clothed him with power for his ministry. And so, in the same way, we have the Spirit of God within us from the moment of our new birth, but we still need to receive the Spirit to come upon us to clothe us with power and supernaturally empower us for our witness to Christ for our ministry and um, and so we this is confirmed uh, that the Spirit of God came upon Jesus for ministry, you know when we see Uh, how he described his experience when he preached the gospel at Nazareth. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And so the purpose of the baptism of the Spirit for us is that we would be anointed with power to be able to witness, to share the gospel, to bring healing to people, to bring deliverance to people, to open their eyes so that they can see the truth about Jesus. We need God's supernatural power because it's a supernatural work, but God wants to do those things through us. And that's the baptism of the Spirit. We're going to see that again and again in the book of Acts, that when there are two stages to the experience of the Holy Spirit. First they receive the Spirit within them, and then they receive the Spirit upon them for ministry. And we need, if we've been saved, we need to also receive this Spirit coming upon upon us in the baptism of the Spirit. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the vision of this ministry is ready to, to spread the in-depth teaching of the Word of God as far and wide as possible and we are so grateful for those who, who have helped us in this way financially and with your prayers. It really makes a huge difference that we can get the Word of God out on different platforms and spread it across the world even in different languages. Thank you so much. For all your help. Thank you for watching. You can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us at our church services, which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX37QH.